Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Eric Best. Eric is the founder and CEO of Sound Commerce, a data platform that equips consumer brands with advanced technology, enabling world-class shopper experiences that drive profitable growth. Eric is a serial entrepreneur with Sound Commerce being his sixth startup. He is a driven growth stage internet software executive with a proven record in consumer direct and retail commerce, SaaS, cloud integration, digital currencies, and digital advertising. As founder and CEO, Eric grew and led companies to shareholder liquidity, including cash exits to amazon.com and Liberty Interactive. Eric's 20 years of hands-on contributions range from day one founder to public offerings and board directorships and more. Welcome, Eric. Hey, thanks, Shauna. Really great to be here. So good to see you. Um, I love that you're standing, by the way. It makes me want to stand because you can just like get into it as we're talking. And you got to really stand for this part because this first part is uh, rapid fire. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, what three words would people use to describe you? Oh, um, <laughs> gregarious, uh, curious, and um, sometimes serious. That's a great combo. It's a little, it's very balanced. I like it. Um, I read that you like to DJ. What kind of music do you like to DJ? Uh, I do like to DJ. It's kind of a fun um, pastime and it's a way to sort of engage with electronic music in a way that isn't work related. And uh, I grew up in a musical family. Maybe we'll talk about that uh, a bit later, but um, there's something very cool about bringing different genres of music together and just sort of creating something new out of uh, artwork that others have created. And so yeah. I dabble a little bit in like mixing um, and then it's just so easy to write and compose music on a laptop today. It's kind of a nice way to unwind. Easy for you. I like it's easy for you because it's easy for you. It's not easy for everyone. That's awesome. Well, you have to send me some samples. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, so if you had an extra hour in the day, how would you spend it? Uh, weather depending, I would probably try to get outside somehow. And um, gardening is a big, big uh, pastime of mine. It's kind of exciting to plan out what's going to happen and then wait seven years and see if it works. Um, <laughs> it's a whole different time frame relative to working in tech and working in startups. Yeah. And uh, kind of wait seven years. What are you waiting for seven years to grow? Oh, you know, you plant a tree and oh, a tree. Kind of, yeah, yeah, that's hard for. Figure out like you know whether it grows up to be what you were hoping it would be. Oh, I like that. What about vegetables and herbs and all that? Are you planting yeah, we, that? Yeah, for sure. We do some of that too. I, I, I kind of like the Zen aspect of gardening where you can, you start with a design and you can kind of fit things like vegetables and herbs and stuff into a yeah. plan. It's fun. Yeah. I don't have a green thumb at all. I'm very impressed. My husband does. So that's good. Um, so if you could have dinner with anyone, I guess, dead or alive, who would you choose? Oh, that's easy. Um, I always wish that I had met or at least seen in concert Louis Armstrong. Um, I'm a big jazz uh, fan, and I grew up listening to his music, and um, I always hear those older albums of him and Ella Fitzgerald singing together, and I think, man, you know, they would have been an amazing pair to meet and certainly host for dinner. Oh, yeah, um, incredible. Well, then maybe I know the answer to this one, but um, if you could be a famous rock star, author, actor, or athlete, which one would you choose? Oh, I don't know. That one's not as easy as uh, I thought. I think it otherwise might be, but um, I respect uh, strong athletes a lot. I think there's something very disciplined about, you know, getting to the top of your game, whether you're an Olympic athlete or um, someone in the Tour de France or, you know, an amazing swimmer. 
Um, I think I probably have to go with music though. It would be, yeah. be pretty sweet to be on stage and actually be able to kind of- So fun, yeah. Okay, mountains or ocean? Ocean for sure for me. Yeah, an in introvert or extrovert? Uh, that one's tough. So, uh, and just briefly, you know, I've always considered myself to be an extrovert. I love to engage with people, but I think what I've learned over the course of the last year in light of COVID and home time is that I actually do pretty well kind of getting energy from my own personal space and even some of the isolation that's coming. I know that's not typical, or at least it's not true for many people, but um, there's something about this uh, last year that's uh, allowed me to kind of reflect on where I get my energy and, and it hasn't been as bad as I expected it would have been. Yeah, people had that same response with me. Like, I think they thought disproportionately I would be like really struggling. And I think I've just never had the option to, I've never given myself the option of just kind of chilling, <laughs> always go, yeah. go, go. And so being forced to, it actually has, I agree, been pretty nice. Yeah. So Learn a I like that. <laughs> We're learning about ourselves, right? Yeah, totally. yeah. So tell me, Eric, tell me all about you. Like, where did you grow up? Where are you from? How was your childhood? Yeah, so I have a, I'll, I'll keep it brief, but there's kind of two phases of my childhood. And I think in some ways this um, split personality, if you will, uh, has really been beneficial to me in terms of my career and how I engage with people at work and so on. Um, you know, I grew up in Seattle uh, until about seventh grade and uh, it was very typical urban life. Well, in some ways it was typical. Um, I attended elementary school at, at the time that I was growing up in Seattle, the public school system was experimenting with this racial integration program. And so I actually jumped on the bus every day and went down to TT Minor Elementary in the Madrona neighborhood. And I attended a school that was predominantly black students. Um, I was a very poor drummer in an incredibly talented African drum ensemble. Um, you know, the walls were covered with um, black heroes uh, from throughout history. And it was a really incredible experience to have a very urban and diverse um, childhood in Seattle. And uh, my dad, who was an engineer, was working at Boeing in his earlier career, and he was kind of a big company guy. And as I was growing up, I could kind of, even as a younger child, I could feel his sort of discontent with being um, a mid-level manager at a very large process-driven political organization. And so when I was in seventh grade, he made the decision to start his first company. And in the process, uh, moved our family from urban Seattle to Cheney, Washington, which is a oh, small farming town outside of oh, no. in Eastern Washington state. And uh, so I spent the rest of my middle school and high school years um, living in the outskirts of Cheney. Um, most of my friends came from Fairchild Air Force Base, so I kind of got exposed to military families, and um, we had Young Life, we had 4-H, we had Future Farmers of America, and it was like the complete opposite of my uh, earlier experience in Seattle. Where and, did you feel more like yourself? Um, I think what was ex incredible about that experience is I really did get to see kind of the full diversity of American life growing up and what what's really important about the story is that i think it's given me a superpower which is the ability to relate to and emotionally connect with just about anybody that i meet you know? yeah um and yeah, i also yeah. have a profound appreciation for how hard people worked you know in agriculture and um some of that just you know the very scrappy work yeah. that a lot of people what did. was the business that your dad started what kind of business you know it's an industrial engineering company it's and it, by the way he's 78 he still goes to work every day oh I it's still call, in existence i call him on facetime yeah there's a couple of businesses that were born out of this original you know entrepreneurial endeavor one's called butech metals in spokane and the other's called gillingham best and they're kind of side-by-side -side businesses um but he still goes into work every day you know, the thing about that experience, if you grow up in an entrepreneurial family, and especially in a business like his where timber and aluminum, you know, these big commodity industries go through these wild gyrations in terms of boom bust cycles, 
um, we just kind of lived, we were along for the ride through all of that, right? We, we um, experienced the highest highs and lowest lows of, of being in a small business, family-led, you know, business. Yeah. And where's your mom on all this? Um, yeah, so she was uh, an uh, elementary ed uh, and music teacher. And so she was kind of the one growing up that really made sure that we were, you know, getting exposed to the arts and, and getting the grades and and so on. And um, she's still very active in music and it's a big part of our family life, so. Yeah, and what about siblings? Are you an only child or you have brothers I have and two younger brothers that are still based in Spokane. One is an engineer and the other is an attorney. And uh, yeah, we're very close. Uh, and it's been, you know, it's an excuse for me to kind of get back over there and. Yeah, my dad grew up in Spokane. It's really nice over there, but yeah, so, so different than I can only imagine like Madrona, Seattle to totally. you know, Eastern Washington, totally uh, different scenes. Yeah. And so who did you kind of look up to? Did, was your dad someone that you looked up to when you were little or did you have teachers kind of um, showing you the path? I think both my mom and dad uh, in various ways were, you know, so fundamental to kind of my sense of self. And um, in particular, you know, having worked with my dad and been involved in that early stage business and again, kind of all the, the good things that come along with that and the bad, um, in deference to him, I would say like, I, I'm kind of left with this belief that um, new and small businesses are the engine for not just American prosperity, but kind of like human prosperity overall. Like um, I, uh, I'm an unapologetic capitalist just because I believe that small businesses can do great things. Um, and that's true of the brands today that we're serving at Sound Commerce. Um, but it was very formative. I think like I have to give my dad most of the credit for the yeah. in this entrepreneurial motion today. Yeah, it could go one way or the other. You could be like, I will never pursue an entrepreneurial endeavors because it's just so volatile. Or, you know, I like the energy that I'm getting from this. Um, did you, do you remember if you think back to like you in fifth grade, um, what you wanted to be when you grew up? Like, you know, was there someone that you're like, oh, I want to be like him as yeah. far as a career? Not exactly. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier kind of my curiosity and I do love like complexity. You know, I love to learn about things. So um, natural sciences was a big part of my college education. There was actually a point where I thought I was headed to medical school. And yeah, I read that. You were like pre-med for a little while. I did go through that whole process. I applied to medical school. I met my wife in anatomy and physiology. It's a running joke. Yeah. Um, and she actually went on and, and pursued um, a career as a physician and is still practicing here in Seattle today. She works at Harborview. She's actually there oh now. Oh my gosh. Wow, that must be crazy during COVID and you guys have to be so vigilant, I'm sure, at home. Yeah, it's, she's had to be very careful just in terms of making sure that she's isolated and following all of the protocols and so on. But, um, right. you know, what I discovered in, that early, in those early stages is um, there's, a, there's a very, um, I would call it methodical path to becoming a practicing physician. And thank goodness, mm -hmm. right, because we're all relying on these people to base their decisions on empirical evidence and, and um, intensive training. Uh, as I was pursuing that though, it kind of always felt like I was, you know, pushing a rock uphill, whatever, trying to push water. Uphill. Didn't feel natural. Um, it didn't really feel natural. And I tried a lot of different things. I would go and work at a family medicine clinic and I would end up kind of like taking on ownership of the IT network and helping them get their software straight. You know, <laughs> and I, uh, I worked at a lab bench at Bristol Myers Squibb for almost two years with a pipette in hand, you know, kind of doing like classic uh, DNA stuff, assays and things. And um, there again, was really fascinated by the protein modeling that these guys over in the corner were doing on these big Linux machines. And so I was kind of attracted to the technology and the speed yeah. they were able to work. And it just kind of yeah. became obvious. Did you have access to technology like in high school and understand? Because I just, I mean, you and I are around the same age and I remember the first time we got our first computer, but obviously we did, we weren't raised in a digital era. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, yes and no, right? So uh, one of the things that my dad did for me, which um, I am still thankful for, is he bought me my first like color computer, you know, one of these like classic 1980s 4K of memory, you know, hook it up to the TV set and yeah. start programming. 
um, computers. And, and it was really formative just because I think it gave me exposure to some of the ideas and concepts that um, are still very much fundamental to the work that we do as a software company today. Yeah. Um, so and, that was that was important. And so since you and I both have like high school students, they're thinking about college, right? And it's so different. I mean, I went to UW and I think I just like, I mean, I, I ended up being an athlete there. So that shaped a little bit of it. But I remember my experience of it was like walking in and being like, I want to go here. Can I, where do I sign up? Kind of very easy. Um, what was your experience of applying to college? I know you went to SPU, but did you kind of look everywhere? Or was SPU um, something that you were focused on from a young age? Yeah, I think thematically, that's one of the interesting um, parts of my story is that there were certain foregone conclusions. And I think like, as you say, um, uh, today, uh, I think kids are just inherently more global in their thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, in my case, you know, my goal was to get back to Seattle, frankly. <laughs> you know, I, I had great memories. Enough, of, enough with the farms and the, yeah, the yeah, horses. And, and, um, and so in some ways, I, I'm not sure that I thought big enough or broad enough. On the other hand, it was, a, you know, SPU was a family um, history school. Uh, I think I'm the fourth generation of my family to attend. Wow. Um, going all the way back to when it was Seattle Seminary before it was Seattle Pacific College and so on. And um, so it was certainly a safe and comfortable place for me to go and try many different things, including the, the biology and chemistry work that I did as a pre-med, and then you know ultimately settle on business. And the really formative thing that happened um, is I met a business professor um, in the later stages of my time at SPU, and he invited me over to Microsoft to go to work on some special projects that were related to one of the Windows launch events. And I ended up kind of meeting some folks there, including John Connors, who was the CFO at the time, you know, some pretty uh, high level senior executives. And this was right at the moment where the famous Bill Gates email came out and the company was turning its attention toward this open standards internet away from proprietary technologies that had right. preceded it. Um, and so it was just an incredibly exciting time. And you kind of contrast that with my experience in the pre-med uh, yeah. fields. In the labs, you know, yeah. They couldn't move fast enough. You know, there was like, everything was deadline driven and it was super exciting. And you kind of like moved fast and broke things and you did all these things that were sort of classic tech. Um, and, you know, Microsoft was a big company at that time, but not nearly as big or established as they are today. And it was a really exciting, like it was really a wake up call for me um, to uh, realign my um, sense of self and my vision for what my career was going to look like. And the one formative decision that we made there, kind of like this self-directed decision, is there, there was a moment in time where um, a couple of my college friends and I, uh, who had co-founded a consultancy, we were doing work on the Microsoft campus, we were offered full-time jobs at Microsoft. And we kind of went away for the weekend. I think we had a Calzone over at the Calzone King on Roosevelt in the <laughs> district. And we were like, are we going to take these job offers? Or are we going to, you know, pursue this um, startup that we had founded? And we chose the latter, of course. And I think that that was kind of one of those pivotal moments where we, I chose the riskier path. Yeah. But it's, you know, it was Did it pay off? Uh, oh, for sure. I mean, like, uh, in a way that can only be attributed to luck and timing. Yeah. Um, so we started this company and we began doing e-commerce work in the very early days. Microsoft had just bought a company called eShop and they were thinking about how to commercialize an e-commerce storefront. This was a long time ago. And uh, so we built this company kind of around that product. We started helping big businesses, um, folks like Universal Studios and Hasbro Toys adopt the platform companies we could never have met on our own at that stage in our careers. So Microsoft played a really important role as a sponsor there. Um, but the, the short version of the story is we sold the business to Amazon uh, two and a half years later. And it, oh my it, gosh. it was a really wild outcome. It was an all cash acquisition. It was basically an aqua hire before that phrase existed. Um, and so our team of about 50 employees all went to work at Amazon on internal projects. And it was a really good outcome for a very young team. Yeah. And what an incredible learning experience so early in your career, right? 
Yeah, I think in some ways that was the thing that um, set me up for this serial entrepreneurship. And I, I sometimes joke with friends, you know, it's like, I've spent the rest of my career proving that it was that easy. <laughs> or that it wasn't a fluke, right? Or the, yeah. Companies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so given that you've been, I guess it sounds like maybe six time founder, what, um, what attributes have you learned over time make someone a good founder? Like you've co-founded with other people and um, how would somebody, if somebody's thinking, if somebody's sitting, listening to this and they work at Amazon and they, they just have that bug that entrepreneur, I want to start something. What would you vet them? Like what, what lens would you have them look at this whole prospect through, I guess? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is that there's just unlimited opportunity. You know, I think the economy is good or it's bad. And, you know, there's a lot of competition in a particular market or there isn't. And um, it really doesn't matter. You know, if you have conviction around an idea and you're able to prove um, that customers need that, product or service that you're providing, um, which is a key part of this, um, really virtually anything is possible. I mean, you have to be willing to accept the risk and the cost mm -hmm. associated with starting something new. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of expense per, you know, personal and economic that goes into starting these early stage companies. Yeah. And, and emotional, right? Like some people just like, oh, 10 years in, I'm just so burnt out and we haven't quite had our exit or our win. Um, yeah. But I still believe, you know, like, when do you know how to, when to throw in the towel, I guess. Yeah. And I think we talked about some of these already just thematically, you know, resiliency is super important and your ability to kind of like bounce back from mm. critical feedback and, um, when people say no, I think is super important. It's kind of fundamental. Um, I think the other thing, there, there's two other thoughts that come to mind. One is, um, it's clear to me that, uh, and I think the numbers show, like the data show that um, teams perform better than individual founders. So if you surround yourself with people that are complementary to your skills, and um, you know, some of this is super obvious, it's even almost cliche, but I think it's also really important and proven. That if you can build that team around you, then yeah, um, the responsibility for the success or failure is kind of spread around on the one hand. So it's not just you as a sole proprietor trying to do everything. Right. But the outcomes are better too, right? Because you're you're complementing your limitations with people that are you know better at you than doing yeah you know, better than you at doing those things. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And smart people who you know have that confidence to put themselves in a, in a room with people that are smarter than them in certain areas and don't feel that they have to be the smartest one in the room and do it all. It's not realistic. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, I guess you talked about founders. What has the order been? I mean, there's so many companies that you've started. Um, I love asking people about kind of the origin and birth of these companies. Like, how do you even, do you have an idea and then you go find somebody that you think would be a great co-founder? Like, what's your ninja skill? You're the marketer, salesperson, or you're the engineer? Uh, I'm definitely not the engineer. Yeah. Um, I'm more sales and marketing, but I kind of think of myself as the as a builder. You know, I've done mm -hmm. pure um, CRO, CCO roles. And the challenge for me is some people are totally driven by, you know, the pursuit of the deal, the art of the deal and the winning that comes along with like closing the big transaction. Right. And I like that. I, I'm, um, you know, I, I get, you probably get a little energy from it. I yeah. get the adrenaline rush that anybody else does. Right. When right. you have those successes, but, um, what has become apparent to me, you know, it's like playing with Legos as a kid, right. You, you there's something really satisfying about, um, ideating on a product, um, going away, spending time and effort building it, and then actually seeing it in the hands of customers. And that's the part that's super uh, rewarding to me. So, um, you know, as far as the, the career trajectory, one of the other things I wanted to mention about that startup, you know, framework, when I was younger, I think I inherently kind of risk mitigated some of the startups that I uh, was involved with by you know, uh, attaching our business to a big, um, a bigger. Sponsor, right. Like right? you said, the sponsor, Microsoft as a sponsor, for sure. You wouldn't get into those companies. Yeah, exactly. And then once we were at Amazon, we spent some time there. We helped launch the third party seller marketplace. My next business, Mercent, um, you know, helped sellers on board to Amazon and take advantage of that program. Um, 
in, in my later career now, I look at that and I say, you know, I wonder if those were ambitious enough, you know, um, somebody has to go and be the next Amazon or the next, you know, Uber or the next, uh, yeah. happens to be Tesla. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think there's, um, there's nothing wrong with thinking very big. Right. Well, that comes with, with some confidence and some age and perspective, um, yeah. or you just, or maybe the opposite youth yeah, of just exactly. like, I don't know any different. I might as well just like swing for the fences. Yeah. I think, yeah. Sometimes I think it's simply just like realizing that you, most of the limitations are created by yourself rather than totally the market as you think about where you Yeah. Going. I have found that a little bit when I, when I first launched fuel, I was thinking five cities in five years. Cause I had done that twice before and like, why not? And then I, well, then I chose mostly to focus on Seattle, mostly because of being a mom and three kids. And I just wanted to have, didn't want to be traveling for work, but it's true. If you just think bigger, I'm like, well, I just, that's just about putting infrastructure in place in these other cities to, to build out the brand. But it's true. We just do put these limitations on ourselves. That's yeah. totally normal. And so talking back about how you've gone about finding these co-founders, assuming that you need to find technical co-founders and all of them have there, have any of them stayed with you throughout? Yeah, it's a great question, actually. And um, I think it's one of the things that I'm particularly proud of in terms of just my own career is that um, many of the folks that I worked with very early on, um, I'm working with today. And we didn't necessarily follow a you know, linear path together along the way. But um, in the case of Sound Commerce, you know, which we founded two years ago, 2018, um, my co-founder and our CTO, Jared Stiff, is the co-founder of the company that I sold to Amazon at the beginning of our careers. And so we've stayed in touch. He's done his things. I've done mine. We kind of reconnected in the context of Commerce Hub a few years back um, and uh, started thinking about what we wanted to accomplish with this new platform and uh, new business and kind of got the band back together. I and love that. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, um, I think it's there's huge value in kind of knowing people, knowing their quirks, knowing that they're trustworthy, knowing what they're good at, knowing what they're not so good at. I think the risk, of course, is that you end up repeating history. And so mm. we try to be very intentional about, um, you know, offsetting the known with the unknown, with the new. And, and so um, now we're getting to the scale and we can talk a little bit about where Sound Commerce is today. But, you know, as we're funding the business and as we're growing the team, um, we're intentionally looking further afield in terms of where we get, where we find talent. And actually, yeah. you guys are part of that story too. Yeah, well, good. Thank you. We're super grateful. Yeah. So so with all these different companies, you've obviously been the early, early stage, you know, seed round, bootstrapping companies. You've done, um, you know, you've gone out and fundraised with with VC-backed companies. When, where are you at your best as far as the stage of growth? And yeah. is there a size that maybe there's a reason why you haven't grown the, the Amazon? Like, is there a size that you're like, that's just not for me because you're a builder? Uh, you know, I, th I think in the old days, I used to think about it that way. Um, we're being very intentional this time at Sound to think big and to go faster than I have in the past. Um, there are certainly moments in my career where as a dad and as a husband, you know, with a wife in med school or going through um, post post-graduate uh, training, things like that. It did not make sense to be all in, like pushing as hard as we are today, but it does right now. And um, one of the themes that we haven't talked about is just the importance of speed. You know, at, at, I'll step back first and say like, some business models are perfectly well-suited for um, bootstrapping, right? And you can really build incredible lifestyle businesses, right? That, that give you extreme flexibility and are super compatible with other things that you wanna do. Um, on the other hand, there are only certain business models that make sense to fund with outside capital, right? And they are kind of inherently swing for the fences businesses. There are some interesting ways of kind of approaching hybrids these days with more creative funding options. Um, but uh, for the most part, if you're looking at Silicon Valley, you know, VC money, you're, yeah. you're, you're shooting for, you're definitely, they're hoping for the unicorn for yeah, sure. They, you're yeah. shooting for multi-billion dollar businesses. Yeah. And um, the key to that is this concept of speed. There's this guy, Hiroshi Mikitani, who's the founder of Rocketen, which is a big Japanese. Oh company. yeah, I know. They're actually a client of ours. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, he has his own kind of personal entrepreneurial framework. And I think, you know, 
it's either first, second, or third on his list is this idea of speed, speed, speed. Mm. Um, and, uh, and he, it's, it's fun to hear him kind of talk about it. Uh, but the point is, is that you take this money and whether or not you can see the clock ticking or not, man, it's ticking, you know, like sure. editors someone are, else is someone else's right on your heels. Totally. Yeah. The competitors are gaining traction and just as bad, you know, you're building things and you're building this tech debt and inertia. Um, and after the second year, the third year, the fourth year, you start to realize like, oh, wow, decisions that we made four years ago are Impact. fundamentally impacting like our ability to be agile and grow. And um, it sounds crazy, crazy to say that in a growth stage company that might only be four years old, but like those things matter. And so um, for me, you know, among other things, sound commerce was a really exciting opportunity to completely clean, clear the slate, you know? Yeah. So tell me what that means. You started it in 2018. It's you and and how many other co-founders? Well, Jared and I were the original co-founders, and then we've brought on a core set of um, leadership um, to handle things like sales, marketing, product, and and so on, customer enablement. And uh, yeah, you know, coming into it, uh, I had been out of Mercent for a few years. We sold Mercent in 2015. We merged with Commerce Hub. We took that company public on the NASDAQ, which was a really exciting um, you know, milestone and, and, uh, end cap for the almost 10 years that I spent building that business. And, um, as I was thinking about, um, and, and experiencing the inspiration for the sound commerce platform and business, uh, you know, we really did come, come at it, um, with the expectation that we would do things differently, that we would learn from the lessons. Um, and, uh, and be very intentional about how we started the business and how we're growing it. And mm-hmm. so some of that is as simple as like being more intentional about our mission, vision, and values. Um, and some of it is like these thematic things that we've talked about, like moving faster, even though there's no external force driving that it's more yeah. a sense of like paranoia, looking over the shoulder and making sure that we're moving. Right. Right. I definitely want to dig into your mission, vision, and values. I think it's crucial. And I love that you're thinking about it so early on um, so that you have a back, a backdrop and like something to measure against, like, how are we doing and staying consistent? But, um, but before we get into that, why don't you tell our listeners like what sound commerce is and what's the business model and um, what kind of brands um, you partner with? So in a word, basically, Sound Commerce is a data platform that serves both these direct-to-consumer digitally native brands, as well as larger omni-channel companies like Eddie Bauer and FTD Pro Flowers, um, Constellation Brands in the beverage market. And we're solving two problems for them. One simply is a business maturity problem that comes with shifting to a direct-to-doorstep, direct-to-consumer model. And the need to be able to understand consumers, shoppers, and how they behave, and also the unit economics of those relationships. You know, if I spend $100 on Facebook and Google and Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, um, cumulatively to acquire a customer that only buys once and they only spend $50, that's not a good business model, right? right? So we instrument the business to be able to track those things. And the big variables for D2C commerce are marketing on the one hand and doorstep delivery on the other. Sounds a lot like Amazon's business, right? The other side of this, of course, is if you're going to instrument the business to make smart decisions, um, there is a data maturity problem that you have to solve. And the great irony of SaaS, you know, these simple cloud-based solutions is you can swipe your credit card, you provision some end users, and you have a business. You've got Shopify and NetSuite and Gladly and Returnly and Recharge, the list goes on and on. As soon as you try to look across those systems and start making intelligent decisions, it becomes very difficult because they really are siloed. And so we're um, basically for the for the technical side of our business, making it very easy for these brands and retailers to adopt a modern cloud data warehouse, one that supports these business decisions that are focused on the consumer and customer. Um, and uh, I guess uh, just philosophically, you know, in some ways, this sounds like an uh, anti-Amazon, anti-Walmart thesis, and it is. Like, there's a, there's a, we're very intentional on wanting to enable independent brands 
um, to find their own path to success yeah. um, without you know, generating the majority of their revenue through marketplaces today. Right. It's not a bad thing. It's just a different thing. Well, it seems like, you know, I listen, I watch Shark Tank all the time. And a lot of these businesses, when they're asked, you know, how are you going about, what's your, what's your approach to go to market strategy? A lot of them are just like, well, we're on Amazon. And obviously that just cuts crazy into their margins. And it's so difficult to work with Amazon. And um, it's incredible if somebody has access to something like sound commerce, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. tell me, tell me how the actual business works though. Are they, um, is it a subscription-based model or how yeah, do they, so how do you make money? We have a, we have a, we've modularized our software platform to align with specific departments within these brands and retailers. So there's a finance module, there's a marketing module, there's a merchandising module. Oh, very cool. And those align with kind of the key departments and, and functions within the brand. Yeah. Um, and so it is a, it's a classic SaaS model. We have a fixed license that we charge for each of these modules and, you know, as customers scale up as the scope of the platform and the data mm -hmm. grows, then we um, provide some, you know, pricing benefits in terms of adopting the whole, the whole suite of these solutions. Interesting. So, um, Interesting. So yeah. who are some of the brands that you're really excited about and what types of things are they doing in the world? I love, I'm a huge consumer. <laughs> I love all brands and I yeah, want I, all of them to be on sound com commerce platform. So I actually have a water bottle here. I don't know if you can see it, but this is from a Seattle company called Mirror. That okay. happens to be um, one of the, you know, smaller, very rapidly growing companies on our platform. Um, and I think they're a great example of kind of what's possible when you approach a consumer product manufacturer brand differently, right? They are a B Corp um, and they are very intentional about taking the profits that they generate from the sale of these water bottles. This one happens to be customized for us at Sound Commerce. Um, but, you know, they take the profits and they uh, are using the proceeds of the for-profit business to fund clean water supply for underserved global communities. So it is wow. a very mission-driven, cause-driven product. And you could say, well, there's nothing that would prevent um, a brand from doing this uh, through Amazon. And in fact, Mirror does sell on Amazon. It's part of the scope of the channels that, that um, are active for them. But there's something about the creation of those um, direct customer relationships. Interestingly, if you look at the bottom of this water bottle, um, every mirror bottle has a give code. And so you can, you can go to mirror.com, you can log on and you can actually influence where those um, nonprofit dollars flow to fund programs that as a customer might be important to you. That's so, amazing. And so I'm sure that aligns beautifully, as you said, with your intention around your own company values. For sure. um, so tell me about the mission of this company and and how you're um, kind of living that day in and day out. Well, I'll, I'll start with our vision because it's kind of what we aspire to become as a company. So when we talk about sound commerce, we talk first about enriching consumers' lives. And how do we do that? Well, we're enabling direct digital first relationships with manufacturer brands like Mirror and many others, right? Um, and in turn for the brand, we're helping Mirror create a better, more meaningful customer experience by taking control of their data, taking control of um, their awareness of the customer and the customer's needs, and ultimately driving a better customer experience for, for shoppers like you and me. Um, and so how does that translate into what we do for the customers? Well, we talk about our platform as enabling world-class operations and marketing. And that all begins with the ability to connect core systems, enable insights, and then ultimately automate decisions that are based on real-time events. And this is something that's quite different. You know, we talked earlier about tech debt and mm -hmm. how uh, it's fun to start with a clean slate. The, the, um, the capabilities of Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud Platform, which is the cloud that we happen to build sound commerce upon, are so profoundly different today than even the state of technology 10 years ago. Right. Things like machine learning and AI-driven predictive decisions, and real-time decisions based on real-time order state, you know, shipment state, product inventory, things like that. Um, it's very exciting to just um, be a part of what's possible now. 
Um, and just to finish the thought on sound commerce, so as we talk about our core values, we started with this list of 11 things and eventually we kind of decided to distill it down. And here again, it's always hard, I think, to come up with these things. This was a very democratic, meritocratic process that we performed internally with our people. But we basically landed on three that we care about the most and we've consolidated everything down. The first is compete as a team. The second is think 11x, which is very tongue in cheek because everybody tend, think, tends to think 10x. Um, and the third is make it happen, which is really just about the independent agency of our employees to take action on their own without having to go up or you know over for uh, permission to do so. And um, we actually took movie quotes to kind of make these real for our Ooh, people. Ooh, do you have so, those? Yeah, so for compete as a team, it's be excellent to each other. <laughs> Some of these are gonna come from the 80s and it's funny because for our younger employees, we have to explain to them who Bill and Ted are, yeah. what yeah. their economic adventure was. Uh, 11X is the sky's the limit and make it happen is a very nerdy Star Trek reference, which is make it so. I and love so, that. Yeah. So we, we have, we, we, to... we have a, one of our values is efficiency. And then we have under ours a little bit of a quote also. And, and it's, um, it, it just says, get shit done. <laughs> yeah. Like we just make it like, okay, the net net of what we're actually saying is to just get shit done. <laughs> just get it done. It's yeah. yeah. I love yeah, it. Yeah, That's funny. And so those are the values. And so, um, so you talk about the vision and the values and the mission. I mean, it sounds like you're being pretty deliberate around the types of brands you want to align with. Um, I'm curious how you go out and get business. Yeah, well, uh, in the early days, it was really much, very much built on our personal networks and you know the work that we had done previously at Mercent, at Commerce Hub, and so on. You know, that's one of the nice things about being a serial entrepreneur, especially if you're kind of in a particular vertical as, as I've been in, in retail and commerce is that you build long lasting relationships. And if you actually deliver uh, on your earlier promises at the beginning of your career, you know, then you can come back and you have credibility out of the gate. So um, things are changing in a big way for us though. Uh, I haven't talked about this yet, but we're um, about to finalize our next round of venture capital funding. So looking at sound commerce, you know, the total um, raise will be 22.5 million. Well, that's so this will be your A round. This will be our A round. Yeah. And you, you, um, round. wow, that's incredible. And your, um, I guess, seed round or pre-seed, all these different languages are yeah. so, so crazy these days and there's no consistency, but did you get money out of the gate? Um, from venture capital funds? Uh, well, sort of. So um, when we first founded the company in mid 2018, we did do a convertible note that was um, that included the Alliance of Angels here in Seattle, which mm -hmm. was really supportive. And then also a couple of kind of pre-seed institutional investors, notably a group in Los Angeles called Stage that does quite a bit of work in the e-commerce space. Mm. So that was 1.8 million in 2018. Um, we rolled that note into a total $6.5 million seed round that we closed in mid-2019. Um, and we've been operating the company under that seed financing since. That was led by a group called Defy.vc out of the Valley. Um, really cool um, pair of co-founders. Trey Vassallo came from Kleiner Perkins. Uh, and Neil Sakara, her partner who's on our board, came from a background at General Catalyst. You know, two wow. well-known names. They went out to raise this fund and I guess in a matter of months, you know, they were looking at $400 million. In oh my a, gosh. Everyone's in, like, I want in. Yeah. And so um, I'm very excited about the new investor that we have coming in. It's a group out of also out of Silicon Valley called Emergence Capital. And they have an incredible track record uh, going all the way back to 2003, I believe is when the fund was started. Um, and they've backed companies like Aaron Levy's box.com. They've, uh, they funded Zoom, which is proving useful to us today. Yeah. Um, they were large and early investors in salesforce.com. So they have this incredible track record and a very uh, clear set of principles and, and um, best practices that, that they apply to their portfolio companies. And I think we're gonna learn a lot through this partnership. Wow, huge congrats. I'm so excited yeah, thanks. for you. So yeah. what, will, what will it look like um, in the coming year? Like, how are you going to, you, well, right now you're remote, right? Yes. Will, yeah, you, stay, so our, will you stay remote? Our, uh, our lease in Fremont, which was kind of right down there in the center of the universe, expired in July. And so we went um, fully virtual at that time. And that's been a good move for us. 
you know, in some ways, if you're in the tech space and you're engineering a, a cloud product anyway, um, the key is just making sure that you have those serendipitous moments for collaboration and innovation. So we have tools like Slack that we use that are that are pretty helpful in that regard. Um, yeah, I would say like with this new financing, kind of everything changes in terms of the motion of the business. You know, we're mm -hmm. moving from a very deliberate testing of product market fit and the engagement of these early adopter customers now to a path where we need to grow quickly um, and start to really scale the commercial side of the business. Yeah. And that means investing in sales, marketing, customer enablement, sure. also growing the engineering team. You know, my, my um, almost singular focus in the first and second quarters of this year is to find great people to join our team. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're looking at 17 open positions right now in Q1 of 2020. Yeah. I was looking, I saw a lot of them and, um, and it's super exciting. How do you plan on um, kind of approaching onboarding and integrating people into this incredible culture that you're trying to build, yeah. given that you're virtual? Um, so I, I've observed in the past how important it is to have recruiting and HR uh, capacity mm -hmm. and just you know, the right resources in place. Um, I think by the time this podcast lands, we will have um, onboarded our own VP of HR. We've also hired an HR specialist and we're in the process of hiring our first full-time recruiter as a company. Um, and of course, we're partnering with folks like you guys. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge. I think as we think about maybe the new hybrid normal, you know, in a post-COVID world, my wife, Jennifer, just finished her second vaccine. Um, so it's very exciting to see that we're making at least some progress um, in, in getting back to um, in-person interactions again. We will uh, likely look for creative ways that we can, you know, have um, flexible space for our people to get together in person when they need to. But we're also casting, a, you know, back to the theme we talked about earlier, thinking big and thinking broadly um, you know, we're not building a global workforce yet, but we are certainly pretty agnostic when it comes to the location of our team within um, North America today. Yeah. So um, I don't really care where our people are as long as they're capable of interacting. As, as long as they can do the 11X and compete, right? Exactly. Totally. <laughs> yeah. As long as they can. Yeah. As long as they're aligned with our with our vision mission. And yeah. I have so many ideas because, you know, we all have our like little ninja skill. And one of mine is I just love connecting people. And I have several that I want to talk to you about when we hang up the podcast. Um, that could be good. I mean, I just don't know, but all these brands that could be incredible and would benefit greatly from sound commerce. Yeah. Um, so given That's all that, that, given you've got these two boys that are 14 and 17 and your wife is a doctor and we're in a pandemic and you're building this crazy startup with all sorts of funding. What do you do to keep your kind of um, balance and mental health strong um, or just kind of take care of yourself? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I think some of that we, we talked about already, like it's, you know, some quiet protected space and time is really important. I do swim and it's kind of one of the things that I do where I'm completely literally in a bubble, <laughs> mm. you know, and it's an hour of, of uninterrupted, just, um, time to think and, and in some cases not think at all, just, you know, get some exercise and blow off some steam. But um, I really find that like my family engagement is the place where I can re-energize these days. We, we have a couple of things that we've done this year, which are different than in the past. We, we got a cord of wood delivered to our house. And so one of the things that we've been doing is just having like a fire in the evening in the living room. Yeah, we've done that every night and we keep going through it so fast. I, mean, yeah. I can't believe we just went through more wood. It's so great. It really yeah. creates a whole ambiance. I love it. It really does. And it's just, I don't know, it's an excuse to get together, turn the lights down a little bit and just have some like, you know, quiet time together. And that's been really energizing for me. Yeah. And um, what else do you think that you'll take with you from this period of time, you know, realizing that you're kind of an ambivert, I guess, but yeah. also the fire, the fireplace and the, and the time with the kids, um, as far as into the future, like these are the kind of core values I want to make sure to hold steady going, even if the world yeah. completely opens up. Sure. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I really don't think we're going to go back to exactly the normal that we had before. And, um, from a work standpoint, I think the most important thing is, is that it's very clear that people can be extremely productive 
and they can be a part of the team without necessarily being in the same physical space. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then on a, on a personal note, you know, I'm just grateful that I've had this time with um, kids that are getting older. You know, my oldest is about to head off to college. You know, he may take a gap year depending on wow. how he plays out. This is like, this is the time that he finds it and off so, to see yeah. where he's going to go. Uh, he's thinking about it. Yeah. There's a few smaller universities, Willamette wow. and, you know, UPS and you know, some regional schools. They keep it in the family. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, I'm just really thankful that I've had this opportunity to kind of spend some family time that I think would not have happened otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. You said UPS, but no SPU. <laughs> uh, that's on the list as well. Oh, good. So, keep it, can, he can be, be fifth too. generation. Yeah, you don't want to be too prescriptive. No, no pressure. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so Eric, my final question for you before I let you go, thank you so much in advance for being on the podcast, but is just ultimately like what fuels you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess thinking about what gets me up in the morning, um, yeah. I, I, I guess I honestly believe that people are kind of innately wired for discovery, you know, if they have permission and, and opportunity to go pursue it. And there's that personal and societal payoff um, that rewards innovation. And so, you know, we've talked about the theme of building, building great things, you know, so far for me, that's really been focused on kind of the technology and retail vertical. I think for Jennifer and me, it's, you know, as we think about our legacy, um, thinking about where else we can apply that drive and and ambition Mm. um, in ways that are um, really going to benefit the world. Um, is an exciting thing to think about. So Awesome. Well, I can't wait to watch you continue to grow and thrive. And I'm just super grateful to see you and have you on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a great conversation today. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.